The reading that we have shared together today is indeed a very popular passage for Christian funerals. This is anything but a funeral this morning, but it does bring to us the theme that I want to address. To be absent is to be present. It is the custom of some African Christians to refer to their dead who die in the Lord or as believers not as having departed, but as having arrived. I would like to have you adopt that kind of terminology. As I make mention of Dr. Curtis and his departure, really, I ought to have said, Dr. Curtis arrived. Because in God's timing, Dr. Curtis had his faith turn into sight over this weekend. And I want to say that's not all bad. To be absent is to be present. I think the African Christians, though they may not have the education we have, have a deeper insight into this than maybe we do, as they refer to their departed as having arrived. How fear-allying, sorrow-dispelling, and hope-bringing are these triumphant words in Paul's letter to the Corinthian believers. There are many words like these in the Bible that we can pin our future on. For example, in the first chapter of Revelation, verse 18, our Lord Jesus announces who he is, and he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. What a theme for March, the power of an endless life. I am alive forevermore. The big question today as we begin this series is, are you ready for arrival? Are you ready to meet the Lord who informs us over and over again in his word that we are not only creatures of time, but we are creatures of eternity? God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That soul never dies. The body does. And it returns to earth from whence it came, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, earth to earth. But the soul or the spirit of man never dies as we will learn very graphically during this month. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Bright is the future for God's children. We use the verse in 1 Corinthians 2 often, but without thinking really what impact it should have on us. Verse number 9 
of 1 Corinthians 2, Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The things that God hath prepared. That is an amazing, incredible statement. The things that God hath prepared. Future benefit. We look at our world and thank God for the things he prepared for us while we are in this life. Oxygen. Rain, sun, food, all of the necessities to survive here, God made available to us. But he says, I'm not through yet. It's just an introduction to what is ahead. And your eye cannot perceive it, nor hath your ear heard it. The things which I am preparing now for those that love me, for those that have faith in me, you cannot even conceive of the future that is yours, he says to us. If you have faith and if you take hold of the gospel, that I give to you, you cannot even perceive what is out there ahead of you. To be absent is to be present. I pray God will help us get a hold of it. So that when we come together for funerals and memorial services, there will be more rejoicing than there will be weeping. There will be more singing than there will be lamenting. Because to be absent is to be present. Many of God's precious promises to us concern our victory over death and our entrance into heaven. That's what makes Easter so significant. No other religion can boast of what we boast of. No other group can declare what we declare. Our leader was crucified. He was buried in a tomb. But hallelujah, he didn't stay there. If you go to Jerusalem and find that garden and walk into that tomb as I have done many, many times, you will see on the back of that door this word, He is not here. He is risen. And I have not found him there yet. We have a Savior who fulfilled what he said he was going to do. You destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. All of the other religious leaders are dead. But our Jesus is alive. And to be absent for us is to be present with him. An old Indian chief was told of the Savior by a missionary, tried on many occasions to persuade the chief to accept Christ as his only hope of eternal life. But the old chief answered the missionary one day, 
The Jesus road is good, but I have followed the Indian road all my life, and I will follow it to the end. And to the chagrin of the missionary, he did just that. The old chief, on the borderline of death, just one year after the conversation I have alluded to, seeking a pathway through the darkness as he faced his departure from this life, said to the missionary, I wish I had walked the Jesus road. My road stops here. It has no path through the valley. And with that, that old Indian chief left this life Sad, tragic, only to discover after living a life without faith and hope in God that the road he followed ended there. But it is true with so many people who put it off and say, I'll take my chances in contrast to the road that so many others have chosen, the road that leads us right into the presence of God, where we will be eternally. I want us to meditate on three things in our first message during March on the power of an endless life, three joys, I call them, that I think we need to remember. Number one, when we talk about being absent is to be present, we're talking about seeing the King. We are talking about entering into the presence of the Lord. Whether in death or to live until the Lord comes, the promise is sure from Isaiah 33, 17, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. For the person who has put their faith in Christ, one thing we can be assured of, when they close their eyes in death here, they open their eyes for the first time to see the king in all his beauty on the other shore. And that ought to bring great excitement to our hearts. Fanny Crosby, who wrote all of those great hymns for us, blind over 90 years of her life, when she passed from this life for the first time, was able to see, and I think probably the first face she saw was the face of her Lord that she wrote so many beautiful hymns about, and one of them was, I shall know him, I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hand. But I think she could have said, as she indicated many, many times, I shall also know him because I shall see him face to face. We shall behold the king. I came across a story of a young boy who had been blind since birth, who came to the time when a physician very skilled in the human eye and how to operate on the human eye told the boy's parents that he believed that he could help him 
and that perhaps through very delicate surgery he could bring sight to this boy who had never seen the light of day. So the operation was scheduled and performed. When he came out from under the anesthetic with his eyes all bandaged, the nurse said to him, Now, son, we are going to remove the bandages, and when they are removed, I want to ask you a question. Who would you like to see first? And without a moment's hesitation, that little boy said, I want to see the one who gave me my sight. Indicating the doctor who performed the surgery. I thought that ought to be what we would say if we were asked when we die, who would you like to see first? When the bandages are all removed, when everything that has cluttered our life here is taken away, who would you like to see first? I would pray that every one of us without hesitation would say, I want to see him who gave me my sight. I want to see the one who gave me light, who introduced me to hope and everlasting life. I want to see the king, even as Isaiah said, in all of his beauty. Does that burn in your heart today as it does in mine? A great longing to see Jesus. I've thought about it a thousand times. What will it be like in that moment when I step over on the other side and see him face to face, the one in whose name I have prayed thousands of times, the one whom I've preached about thousands of times, yet have never seen? What will it be like? And it's just so difficult to even imagine. But I can tie into it a little bit when I think of that boy when the bandages were taken off and he did see and looked up into the face of the doctor who through skill and understanding had given him his sight. It must have been a marvelous moment for that boy when he had never seen a face in all of his life to see. Friend, there are many things that come along our pathway that can lead us astray. There is a term we use in the church which I really don't like to refer to often, but yet I am faced with it. It's the term backsliding. It is possible to fall away. It is possible to lose faith. It is possible to let the things of this world crowd out the things of faith. But if we will just keep in mind one of these days we shall see the king to be absent is to be present. Maybe in remembering that we will be kept faithful. We will be kept from faltering and stumbling and making poor choices if we will just keep in mind the first face we'll see could be that of Jesus and our faith will be turned to sight. Maybe we can keep on the straight and narrow road that leads to life everlasting. I pray it will help us to do that. 
the glorified Christ, appeared several times to people in Scripture. And every time we see that in Scripture, we marvel. I was reading Acts chapter 7, where Stephen became the first martyr of the church. And I was stunned again as I read it this week. Verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw, Stephen literally saw, the glory of God, and then it says, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Wow. Here's a man, before he died, just before he died, had a glimpse into the heavenly scene, and he not only saw heaven, which must have been Tremendous, but he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then in verse 56 of Acts 7, he said, Look! I can't give it the proper emphasis. I don't think any human voice can do justice to what Stephen must have put into what he said on that day as stones were landing on his head and he was getting closer to the other side. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then those who were stoning him started to cry out. They cried out with a loud voice, stop their ears. They literally put their fingers in their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. What a day for Stephen. As he was faithful to his Lord, would not take back anything he said, would not recant on his faith, and because of his steadfastness, the Lord said, let's just change the order a little here and give a little glimpse into what is ahead. And they pulled back the curtain and Stephen saw heaven and he saw Jesus before he left this planet. And it was so awesome that the people who had no faith and were hard in their spirit ran at him and cast him out of the city and put him to death. But they put his clothes at the feet of a fellow by the name of Saul. And then isn't it interesting that the next person in the scripture who has a vision of Jesus is this same man whose name was then Saul. Two chapters later, he's traveling toward Damascus. He has authority to put Christians into prison and put them to death. But this blessed Christ that Isaiah says, we shall see face to face, accosts Saul on the road. He falls from his beast and in the dust of the Damascus road, he sees Jesus. And he says immediately, Lord. And that's a powerful word in the Greek. Lord, 
It means that in an instant, Saul embraced Jesus as he saw his glory. And he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? The rest of his days, over 30 years left in his life, were given solely to missionary enterprise, writing these great epistles in the New Testament, 13 of them, that help us today to live the way we ought to live, at a revelation of Jesus. Never could get used to it. Never could fathom the glory of it. It motivated him even till he lost his head in Rome. Just after he said, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the course. And what did he say then? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord will give me on that day. Where is your vision? What are you looking at? The problems? The economy? The difficulties? Or are you remembering to be absent is to be present? I'll tell you, it encourages me more than I can tell you from this pulpit today to know that whatever I face here, it's only temporary. It hasn't come to stay. Thank God it came to pass. That word appears in the Old Testament over and over again. It came to pass. Remember that. It ain't come to stay. As the southerner said, it came to pass. You're going to make it. If you remember, you're going to see the king. We shall see him as he is. It even happened in the Old Testament to Isaiah. When he went into the temple in Isaiah 6, it says he saw the Lord high and lifted up. I'll tell you, any sweat, any pain, any suffering, any trial we may have down here seems to me will be worth it. Just one glimpse of his dear face. All sorrow will erase so bravely. Run the race till we see Christ. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent is to be present. He was saying to us, we shall behold him. We shall see the king as he is. Let it encourage you today. Let it lift your spirit. Secondly, one of the joys that await us, we shall see our loved ones. I don't know how many you have over there, but I've got a bundle. I came from a big family. I mean, there are Coles and Rantons all over the place. Heaven is populated with relatives of mine. The closest to me, up to my present immediate family, are over there now, all of them, all of my grandparents, my mother, my father, uncles and aunts, cousins, Little nephews, one beautiful seven-year-old nephew was a joy of my sister's life, killed tragically at seven years of age. He was a preacher when he was seven. Never seen a little guy like he was. He could sing and preach. He loved Jesus like no little boy I've ever seen. But he's in heaven. 
waiting. Now I'm telling you, you talk about Christmas reunions, you ain't seen nothing yet. We shall see our loved ones. We shall see family members. Would you hear me this morning? Separation is temporary always when you know Jesus. It's never final. Only temporary. Do you know what? Some have more loved ones over there than they have down here. It's true. I visited with dear sister Marie long on Friday. Mace and I went over. It was her 85th birthday. She has cancer, and she knows unless God gives her a miracle, she's not going to be here long. I was so thrilled. Look into Marie's face, and she just smiled and said, well, if he wants me to go, if it's my time, I'm in his hands, and smiled, this beautiful smile, just absolutely confident in God, resting in God, assured in her faith, knowing if it is her time, she's going to be better off anyway. And there are loved ones to see. Do you remember what 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 declared? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means those who have gone on before us. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. I love those two words, with them. We get so caught up with being caught up that we forget with them. With them. You go to the cemetery and put flowers on the grave. If those people who are buried there knew the Lord, it will be with them. They're coming out of there one of these days. And they will precede us just momentarily. And we will meet the Lord in the air. Stupid article in the morning paper today. Stupid article. Stupid article. Stupid, stupid article. Group of scholars who met in Sonoma and have deducted that less probably than a fourth of the words of Jesus were really the words of Jesus. And he never did intend for people to believe that he was coming back. I mean, that really takes brains. Why do preachers ever need to stand in the pulpit and talk about the power of an endless life when there are stupid, ignorant men like that with degrees behind their name who don't know even how the Bible came into existence, it seems, under the divine inspiration of God over 1,600 years by 40-plus writers who never met each other, and yet it doesn't contradict in one place, always pointing one way to the day we shall see him and be with those we love forever. Thank God for faith. We shall be caught up together with them. 
I've had to say goodbye to many I love, and I include in that many who I have served through the years, the hundreds of funerals that I have conducted. I have said goodbye most of the time with tears and with a choked voice, but always knowing it's only temporary. I will see them again. I will walk with them again. I will worship with them again. And together we shall behold the king in all of his beauty. Have you read today or this weekend's timeless insight? Romans chapter 2, but also 2 Samuel chapter 12. I read it this morning. David's heart was comforted in knowing that he would see his child again. Read those words this morning when David said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. See, way back in the Old Testament, there is this theological fact. How did David know this before the resurrection? How did David understand this? I shall go to him, but he shall not come to me. By divine revelation, he knew in his heart by the revelation of God that he would see that baby. That though it died, he would see that child and they would know one another. And you say, now how can you say that? They would know each other. I know it. Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John went up there with Jesus. And when he was transfigured before them, there came two personalities identified as Moses and Elijah. And Jesus never even had to introduce them to Peter, James, and John. He never said, now Peter, this is Moses. James, this is Elijah. John, this is Moses, and I shake hands, fellas. There were no formal introductions. And yet those men who had never seen Moses and Elijah, never had a clue of what they looked like, said, let's build three tabernacles here. One for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. How did they know that? <laughs> Very simple. When you get into that type of existence and realm, all things become known. You shall know even as also you are known. Nothing shall be hidden. You talk about understanding and revelation. Of that day, Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Which would you like to be in, the resurrection of life or the resurrection of damnation? We shall see our loved ones again. I know it's an old story, but I can't get by without telling it again. Robert Ingersoll, the atheist, told this story himself. He said, I was never nonplussed but once. I was lecturing one night and took occasion to show that the resurrection of Lazarus 
was probably a planned affair to bolster the winning or waning fortunes of Jesus. Lazarus was to take sick and die. The girls were to bury him and send for Jesus. Lazarus was to feign death till Jesus should come and say, Lazarus, come forth. To emphasize the situation, Ingersoll said, Can anyone here tell me why Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? Down by the door, a white-haired man arose and with a shrill voice said, Yes, sir, I can tell you. If my Lord had not said Lazarus, the whole graveyard at Bethany would have come forth. Revelation, understanding, true. The poet said it is not death to die. We're going somewhere. To be absent is to be present, not only with Jesus, but with our loved ones again. Thirdly, we will rest from our labor. The joy of that hour. Have you ever gotten tired? Have you ever said, I'd like to shock the whole thing? I'd like to retire. Oh, for the day, I don't have to get up at five in the morning, pack my lunch, trudge off to, have you ever? I mean, even once, even had a faint thought that way. Not since Friday, huh? It'll probably return about 10 tonight. <laughs> well, I've got good news for you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're not always going to have to go to the office. Hallelujah. <laughs> We're not always going to have to answer the phone and run errands and lift burdens. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yea, saith the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Revelation 14, verse 13. And in Hebrews 4, 9, the Bible says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Age brings its wrinkles its pains, its loss of hair. My goodness, I got up this morning, and when you get up, you don't look so hot. But I looked into the mirror where my hair was all disheveled, and I saw bare scalp, it seemed to me, up there somewhere. And I thought, no, that isn't me. But there was nobody else around. It was me. So I quick washed my hair and got it into place so you can't see it very well. It's amazing what you can do with a comb and hairspray. But it's happening. It's departing me. It's leaving me. And I don't know how many are yet up there. He does, but I'm asking him to leave at least enough and I will not be embarrassed. 
Seems to me that I have more forehead to wash than I used to. <laughs> we are moving along. Harp music sounds better to me all the time. One day we will lay down the burden, never to pick it up again. The power of an endless life. I'd be ashamed if I wasn't a Christian this morning. How foolish not to be a Christian when you have so much out there awaiting and lose it because you refuse to make a wise decision, a decision of faith, a decision that will bring you face to face with the king, face to face with your loved ones, a decision that will allow you to lay down your burdens one of these days and enter into rest. That doesn't mean non-activity. It just means that you're going to enjoy forever what you're going to do from there on, it'll never be a burden. It will never be painful. I can't wait. Well, I've got to close. I wish I had more time, but let me close with this word from a little booklet. I, I get Dr. Norman Vincent Peale sermons regularly in the mail. I have for many years. I've got piles of them. I visited there in his church way back in 1965, and I I, I put in a card, said, put me on your mailing list, and I've got those sermons every month since, three, three of them a month. And so you know they count up. And I love some of the stories that I, I read, and this one really caught me for this morning, and I just want to read it because if I don't, it'll, it'll lose some of its punch. It was a long-distance telephone call that spanned nearly half the continent, the voice at one end was feminine, old, and frail. The voice at the other end was masculine, vital, and crisply strong. It was an aged mother and a beyond-middle-aged son who were speaking. Strangely and tenderly, sometimes I grant you exasperatingly, men to mothers are always little boys. The conversation, therefore, was pitched on that level, and she talked to him about the simple, humble, endearing things of the family. She was talking from a little Midwestern village, from an old-fashioned home on a tree-lined street. He was in a towering office building in throbbing and surging Manhattan. But it was a communication between two people who loved each other more than life itself. He knew she wasn't well, and he said to her, Mother, I am flying out tonight, and we will have a good time together. You just get everything ready, and I will be with you tomorrow. Ah, she said, I will have all the things you like to eat. Won't it be nice to have my boy home again? And then her quavering voice came over the wire, I'll see you in the morning. When he arrived in the morning, it was to be told that quietly and peacefully during the night, his beloved mother had gone across to the other side. There she lay peacefully. He looked upon her face, upon the lips that would not speak again, and remembered that the last words he had heard her say, he would never forget, I'll see you in the morning. 
This man is a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Pio wrote, very, very modern, very businesslike, very matter-of-fact. You might even say he is sophisticated. I asked him what he thought about that. I'll see you in the morning. He looked at me with a face full of surprise. Why, of course, he said, I'll see her in the morning. How do you know, I asked. Oh, he said, don't you remember how you and I and our other friends used to go to those little country churches in the long ago? And I do well remember. I thank the Lord that I had a chance to grow up in a little country church just after the turn of the century. Looking out the windows, you saw no building, only fields and hills and woods and the sky. Those preachers weren't always highly educated men, but they believed everything they said. And I wouldn't go to a church where he didn't believe everything he said. I just added that myself. <laughs> and furthermore, they had spiritual experience to communicate. They were talking out of lives that knew God through Jesus Christ. My friend continued, don't you remember the dear old hymn, there's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. And the refrain, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Oh, yes, he said, I haven't the slightest doubt at all that I will see her in the morning. And then he looked at his friend, Dr. Peel, and said, and I don't think you have any doubt either. Scientists have tried to talk us out of our faith, but every time they look a little farther into the universe, they get a bigger question mark on their face because there are things there they can't explain. <laughs> I can help. There is nothing so wonderful as Easter month dawns as our faith. A faith that defies death itself. A faith that defies the wrinkles and the baldness and all of the rest that is happening to us. A faith that says simply, to be absent is to be present. Embrace it, neighbor. Grab hold of it, neighbor. Your whole future is at stake. Eternity is awaiting your decision. Shall we pray? Living God, our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, Holy Spirit, who administers the life of Jesus to us in this life. We come to you, Holy Trinity, thrilled today with our faith, thrilled today with our hope, thrilled today that we can know you personally. That if a bomb were dropped on us today, it would only mean the beginning, not the ending. Jesus, convict us of our sin.